He knows exactly what's going on in their head. See how difficult it was for him to drop in and out of I versus we. He knows what he should be saying. Manipulative, aggressive. Their treatment words. There's things he's been asked to, think, to, to consider. We're inside the Victoria Police Academy. Detective Sergeant Tony Breen, who we'll call Tony, is training a group of detectives on offender behaviour. It's one of many sessions he's taking as part of a four-week training program delivered to sexual offences and child abuse investigation teams. Police never find it easy listening to a sex offender justify their behaviour. But, as Tony explains, understanding the way the offenders think is critical to the investigation. There's a lot of work he's You're listening to Unspeakable, a podcast brought to you by Victoria Police. This is the second instalment of our six-part series about understanding sexual crime. In episode one, we spoke about the challenges of reporting sexual offences. Now we're going to look at what happens beyond that initial report, from the perspective of an investigator and a victim. We'll also look at how police members become detectives in the sexual offences and child abuse investigation teams, known as SOCKETS, and the specialist knowledge that's required to investigate sexual crimes. This topic can be confronting to talk about and for some people difficult to listen to. In managing your well-being, we suggest only listening to unspeakable with people you feel comfortable with and giving yourself permission to pause and start again later if you need to. As further assistance, we will provide some support options at the end of each episode. Tony joined Victoria Police in the mid-1980s. After doing rotations, he landed at a busy crime investigation unit in Victoria's Mornington Peninsula, where he eventually began to take carriage of investigations into sexual offences. In those days, the investigative model was different. There were specialist units which provided an initial response to victims. Their role was to attend to victims' safety and welfare and take statements before eventually passing on investigations to detectives like Tony. It's really difficult to say what attracted me to it. It's, uh, it this work is not for everyone. It's, uh, it, it can be some of the most rewarding and satisfying work as an as a investigator, but it can also be the most frustrating and heart-wrenching depending on... Um, what the eventual outcome is and even thinking about what an appropriate or a good result is is a big part of our training now because a good result can mean many different things to many different people. We'll discuss the definition of a good result in more detail later in the episode. Tony says in those days the specialist units that handled reports of both adult and child sexual abuse were predominantly made up of police women and that they connected incredibly well with victims when taking reports. The more Tony investigated sexual offences, the more interested he became in how Victoria Police could improve the process for victims. Traditionally, we've looked at sex offending as a series of events. It just, it happened on this day. The person did this to me, with or without consent, and I was X age. But sex offending is much more than that, much more than that. Yes, we need to particularise those events. The law says we have to. But the story of the sex offending itself is more often than not within the relationship, the story of the relationship. Following a Victorian Law Reform Commission report on sexual offences in 2004, 
Victoria Police changed its investigative model to include a greater focus on understanding the dynamics that surround sexual offenders and their offending. Out of this report, the current Sexual Offences and Child Abuse Investigation Team, or SOCKET, model was born, revolutionising the way in which sex offending is investigated by Victoria Police. Socket detectives now support and work with victims and their families from the time of reporting, through the investigation and, if appropriate, during the court process. It means that victims establish an ongoing relationship and trust with the same police members they initially meet. This reduces the number of times they have to repeat their story and provides an ongoing point of police contact. There are currently 28 sockets across Victoria each with their own group of specialist detectives. We absolutely understand some of the barriers to reporting, a lot of barriers to reporting. That's the specialist type of knowledge that we've tried to bring to the table and to do that, um, we are teaching this concept that's called whole story. The whole story concept is central to the specialist training socket detectives receive to improve their knowledge about sexual offending and ensure positive attitudes towards victims and realistic attitudes towards offenders. Whole Story was developed from research into sexual offending and therapeutic work with offenders and victims and is underpinned by the following concepts. Sexual offending is a crime of relationship. All offending begins in the mind of the offender and offenders are always the initiators and victims the reactors. Tony explains how Whole Story applies to an investigation there are three elements to whole story. We say it's grooming, which always happens in two parts. The first part is around establishing that power and control in, in a relationship. And the second part is to then sexualise it somehow. And before they know it, the offending has happened. Before they realise what's been going on through the grooming process, the offending's happened and they have been made to feel in some way complicit or responsible and the third part of whole story is around corroboration, you know, being able to put them in the right place at the right time, um, verify things that uh, victims have told us. To implement the whole story investigative framework with the aim of improving the experience for victims, Victoria Police expanded the socket training course from three to four weeks to include specialised training on understanding offenders and interviewing suspects. We need to shift our focus from and we are, and we have, and we've been able to prove that we're able to keep this attitudinal change ongoing. The ability to reflect on what effect that might have on victims, which will explain a lot of our questions about why didn't you do this? Why were you wearing that? It's important because juries will ask those questions and courts will ask those questions and certainly defence counsel will ask those questions. But our focus has to be, and the whole story concept certainly involves, how did he get her to do that? That's what we have to explain. And we can't explain it if we don't understand it, understand its importance and get the ability and the practice to be able to draw out what's important from victims. So how do investigators obtain the best possible evidence? They use a technique known as forensic interviewing. Collecting accurate evidence and conducting a 
well thought out and best practice interview is important in all cases. That's Megan Danby. She trains socket investigators in forensic interviewing. As part of her PhD in cognitive and forensic psychology, Megan looked at how to best gather the most accurate and reliable information from children. Sex offence cases and child abuse cases rely highly on evidence from victims' testimony a lot of the time. Uh, these types of crimes can be committed uh, without other witnesses seeing the crime happen often. They're behind closed doors. Um, they can often go unreported for a long period of time where we might not then therefore get physical evidence. Um, so there may not be DNA or even bruising or anything um, to collect. So that really means that we're left with this victim's testimony as our core evidence. So it is really important that we uh, make sure that we collect that testimony in the best possible way and in order to elicit the most accurate evidence from that victim. Without delving into the specific way that investigators work, in basic terms, a forensic interview should consist of a series of well-constructed, open-ended questions that aren't misleading and don't make any assumptions. So open-ended questions are really well established as being the optimal method for eliciting information from most people, whether they be adults or children or suspects or whatever. When we talk about interviewing children though, using best practice and evidence-based techniques just becomes more important and they can be more susceptible to the problems that occur with bad interviewing. There's an unsubstantiated myth that children make for poor witnesses. This misconception is completely disregarded by Victoria Police and Megan explains why. Children are absolutely reliable witnesses. They can, can certainly give us reliable information that we can take to court and we, we can investigate and we can, we can pursue a case. Um, even young children can provide accurate accounts of things that have happened to them. What becomes really important with young children is good interviewing techniques and making sure that we're, we are conducting that interview in the best possible way, adhering to what the evidence tells us is best practice interviewing. Um, with young children, if we start conducting a, an interview more poorly or a bad interview, that's when they would become more unreliable. So the onus isn't on the child, uh, it's actually on the interviewer to make sure they're doing a really good job and conducting a good interview. Electronically recorded statements, known as visual and audio recorded evidence, are also a valuable tool in the investigation process. Investigators need to be able to take statements from vulnerable witnesses, including victims of sexual offences, children and people with cognitive impairments, such as an intellectual disability or Down syndrome. Visual and audio recorded evidence allows police to record statements from these victims in a supportive, controlled environment, which can then be used as evidence in chief in court, meaning they don't have to then repeat their account of the evidence to various people throughout the investigation. They give vulnerable witnesses better access to the criminal justice system. It's something that's been used by Victoria Police in investigating sexual offences for more than 20 years, and most SOCKET members are trained to use it. What happens when a victim or witness has learning difficulties or troubles with their speech? Should they be discounted as a viable witness because they don't communicate conventionally? Absolutely not, says Tony. We know that sex offences are the most underreported crime. If you add someone with a disability, 
now it's massively underreported. It's difficult at times to get a statement or a story from someone with a cognitive impairment. So what we try and do is expose our investigators to interviewing someone who in some cases can't speak. So we have spent two weeks talking about open questions and free narrative responses from excited young children who are telling us a story. But now we confront our students with half a day of theory about identifying cognitive impairments, communication breakdowns, communication difficulties and some tools to uh, work through that. After the theory comes the practice. Investigators then spend a day with a group of community members who have various cognitive impairments. They get to know one another. They talk, or if that's not possible, they write. And if that's not possible, they use signs or technology to communicate. Then the detectives interview them with video cameras set up as they would in real life. In a monitoring room next door, a qualified speech pathologist observes and gives feedback. And it's such a rewarding day to see our investigators who start the day a bit apprehensive about, I don't want to offend anyone, or I don't have any dealings with people with disabilities. Um, and then at the end of the day, to be able to get back into a classroom environment and reflect on what they've learnt and how they would rate, if you like, these adults' ability to tell a story and give evidence in court. And overwhelmingly, their mindset changes massively throughout that day. And the take-home message from me to them every time is that the people with disabilities any person with a disability has a story to tell and it's up to us to be able to facilitate that and listen to that. It's initiatives like these that are building the skills of police to better investigate and improve the experience for victims of sexual offences. My challenge all the time to our members is it's now up to you. You're the qualified person to have to take the time now to listen to these stories and then fight like hell to be able to get that story presented well in court. And that's exactly what they do. It's important to note that some cases never get to the prosecution or court stage for a variety of reasons. If you ask any socket detective for their definition of a good result, they can't give you a simple answer. This is a big part of the socket investigators training because a good result can mean many different things to many different people. What's important to Victoria Police is that the reporting and investigation process has been supportive and beneficial for the people involved. Sometimes just telling the story is enough. That's a great result for some people. What we do know and we spend a lot of time learning is from the time someone discloses to us, we understand their life will never be the same and we need to work with them to assist them through that. And we can't work with them if we don't understand some of those difficulties. So with improved training opportunities, a more victim-centric investigation model and wider organisational awareness of these issues, how has this improved the investigation experience of someone who reports? Victorian Crime Statistics Agency data shows the reporting of sexual offences has increased by 45% over the past five years. Victoria Police attributes the introduction of sockets and whole story as one contributing factor to this improvement, 
because people are increasingly recognising that its specialist responses to sexual offences provide a safer and better experience for victims who report. Another contributor has been the establishment of SANO Task Force, whose brief is to investigate both historical and new allegations emanating from a Victorian parliamentary inquiry into child sexual abuse. They also coordinate investigations emerging from the Federal Royal Commission into institutional responses to child sexual abuse. More than 400 reports of historic sexual offending have been referred to Victoria Police from the Royal Commission, which are being investigated by Sano Task Force and sockets across the state. This is how we met Gabby. Gabby reported to Sano Task Force the abuse she suffered as a child at the hands of a person whom both she and her family trusted. So fortunately, um, I'm an avid ABC radio listener and I was listening to the Royal Commission reports, listening to Mark Colvin's um, PM reports and was really affected by those reports. I had already disclosed to a psychiatrist what was going on with my life and I was I've, in the process of disclosure, I suffered a lot of grief. Many times I was listening to those Royal Commission reports, having to pull the car over and just cry my heart out. And that was a new effect. That, was, that sudden grief was new because I had disclosed, and that can happen a fair bit. Um, and then, so from there I, I just got the feeling that, I said to the psychiatrist, what do you think about if I went through the criminal justice process? And he said, well, it can be pretty traumatic. Gabby isn't her real name. We've changed it to protect her identity. The offending against Gabby took place when she was a child and living in Victoria. She now lives interstate, but chose to speak with Victoria Police for this podcast because she wanted to share with others her experience of going through an investigation. While Gabby wasn't encouraged by the advice of her psychiatrist, reporting was something she felt she needed to do. I was Googling the Royal Commission, followed through, knew it was going to be a case of looking at the Victorian websites and saw the Sano button, pressed that, and phoned them up, left a message on the machine. I did wonder if anyone was going to get back to me. It was strange leaving a message on an answering machine. And fortunately, I got a call very quickly back. And I said, I need to know, this is my, this is my circumstances, I need to know if the perpetrator is still alive. And that was a really important thing for me to know. If he was still alive, it's still possible he was reoffending, and that was really deeply disturbing to me. Um, and also that my husband was really willing to support me through the process and um, that it would, I would get closure on it, something that I had never thought about. And I thought also that it would improve my relationship with my mother. Whether they're entering a police station or picking up the phone, most people don't know what to expect when they report a sexual offence. This is exactly the sort of trepidation Gabby felt. An experienced socket detective was allocated to Gabby's case. He confirmed to her that the perpetrator was definitely still alive. The detective got back to me pretty quickly, sounded very enthusiastic on the phone, which was really gratifying because I wasn't sure how this was going to play out. I thought, this happened 35 years ago. I could just kind of get laughed off the stage, I just thought. And I was so grateful that someone was listening to me, that they took me seriously, that it was, um, there was a process in place already a process in place and the detective who was taking on the case was experienced. So um, all those boxes were ticked. Gabby was reassured by the initial police response and enthusiasm, but there were still elements that she found incredibly confronting, such as remembering specific details. 
As the investigation progressed, the events began to resurface. So I ended up looking back at Brochu's journals archives, a lot of archive work, to make connections and to bring my memory back into that place I was 35 years ago um, and try to remember what happened, particular instances. So actually encouraging the memories to come forward, which is bringing forward more anxiety, but I think at the back of your mind, if you know that you're contributing to um, society's welfare by putting this bringing this person to justice, it's a different flavour. There's an, a new kind of energy to it. While there were a lot of memories that were difficult for her to recall, there was one silver lining for Gabby. The process also brought up a lot of good memories from that time of her childhood that she had once fought hard to forget. Gabby places a lot of importance on having a good support network going into the reporting and investigation process. As well as her husband and a group of close friends who she confided in, Gabby already had a well-established relationship with her counsellor. So just talking through the process with an independent person who isn't emotionally attached to your situation is, I found, very beneficial. And it really calmed me down. And to know that most of my responses were normal, like that I wasn't um, overreacting or I wasn't too needy or just, just to have someone to ground you. A reminder to listeners, there are counselling services available to victims of sexual offences and their families. There are 15 centres against sexual assault across Victoria, each staffed with experienced and reputable counsellors, offering a range of services and support groups. For anyone listening that would like to get in contact with CASA, you can call their hotline on 1800 806 292. With Gabby living interstate, emails and phone calls became frequent between her and the detective. Initially, she felt anxious seeing the detective's number flash up on her phone, but they soon developed a sense of familiarity that reassured Gabby she was in capable hands. Once the witness statement was over, that I felt like that cl cleared it out. There was a new level that we got to. And then bringing in humour, I think um, having a little jokey moment, a few jokey moments is really valuable. Those sorts of little things are really gratifying. They just relax you back down. There is space for that. You're not, I never felt like I was hurried up through the process or, you know, told to stay focused or something. So it was, it was good. Um, as I say, I had an experienced detective, so I was very lucky. During the investigation, it was discovered that Gabby's perpetrator had offended against other victims. When you've been groomed, you really are convinced you are one, you are special. When you go through the process of disclosure, that idea is stripped away. So what you realise is that you were completely manipulated, that you had, uh, you weren't special, you were... So finding out there were other victims then becomes a process of, hey, you know, I was 10th on the rank there. It's okay now to feel like I was used. There were other people out there used as well. And it's just that, that connection, making that connection that, yeah, okay, I wasn't special, this wasn't a one-off, but um, that's how they work. He eventually pled guilty at a committal proceeding. The investigation lasted 15 months. Gabby describes hearing those words, the plea of guilty, as a pivotal moment in her pursuit of justice. But there's still more she feels she needs to do. 
There's different kinds of closure across your life though. So for instance, there's closure on the justice, but there's still things I need to do in relationships that are not finished yet. There's still unfinished business. Mum and I have to sit down and talk about how things went. I've got a sister that we need to connect with again and it's finding those um, different levels of connection now that we've gone through this process. It's a different relationship. It's a more adult, more gratifying, more intimate relationship and that's been the real benefit. As Gabby explains, closure or justice can take many different forms for many people. Victoria Police's role is to be there, listen with empathy and without judgment and support people every step of the way. And this is what Tony reinforces to the Victoria Police detectives he trains. He regularly reflects on an episode of SBS's Insight program, which featured a woman in her mid-60s who was allegedly raped by a family friend. She opens the door one day and this acquaintance comes in. He locks the door behind himself and attacks and rapes her. She ultimately reports to police, um, but there's a bit of a delay. She has a breakdown, she's put on medication. The offender says to police that sex took place, but it was consensual. In court, she was portrayed as a crazy old woman um, who was psychotic and addicted to medication. But she stayed in the witness box and told the entire story. The suspect was acquitted. But for Tony, that's not the point of showing the episode in the training course. The point is to highlight how important a police member's attitude is in an investigation. The outstanding quote to me in that story from the program is the last line of her story where she says, but one thing that stood out to me like a shining beacon is the police. They surrounded me, they supported me. I had no idea that police could be like this and I'll never forget what they did for me. Well, that's what why we come to work, I think. That's, that's why we, when you ask about what attracts people or me to this type of work, um, then that's what I think we do it for. Unspeakable is brought to you by Victoria Police. If you've been a victim of a sexual offence, please call triple zero or your local police station. For additional support, CASA's confidential 24-hour sexual assault crisis line can be reached on 1800 806 292.